0: Welcome to another episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. I have producer Tyler with me today as my co-recorder guest. Hello. Thank you for joining me. I asked you to podcast with me because I want to talk about a topic of being overlooked. Okay. And I feel like you've been with me the longest when it comes to the Isaac Foundation, so you probably can relate to some of... Well, you can't relate to some of my feelings, but means that you have been with me from the moment the Isaac Foundation has been around. Yeah. We have a long history with the Isaac Foundation.
1: Super long time.
0: It's been around for 16 years.
1: It's crazy.
0: I know. Yeah, so you were 3 at the time that we started the Isaac Foundation. So some of your early years you didn't you weren't really aware of all the things that the Isaac Foundation did. If I would have asked you when you were five, what does the Isaac Foundation do? What would have been your understanding of it? Well, at
1: five, my basic understanding would be it helps people in families that have kids
0: with autism. Correct. Yeah. And up until last year, you worked for us last year when we were getting ready for our auction and yeah. we had to move from our small office space to the current building that we're in over by the Spokane arena. We hired you to help us get us through the auction because you of all of the people have had a lot of experience putting on our taste of hope auction every year. So you were a really good person to help us get ready for it. And then also you had the manual labor factor.
1: I got the fun job of moving From the small office, then taking everything out of the new office to (laughs) using a minivan and uh, Riley's car.
0: Yes, to get everything from the old place over here. And then you had to put everything up. And since you're a super tall person, you were always tasked with the physical labor and getting all of the things set up. Yeah, it was
1: kind of nice, though, because I liked liked painting and filling some of the holes in the wall and stuff. It was kind of nice because most of the time while I was working, I'd be here alone, so i just grab my speaker, listen to a podcast, and yeah. then just...
0: That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. But it was interesting that when you first came to work with us last year, and we were procuring stuff for the auction, you were still not even aware at that time all of the new things that Isaac Foundation has started doing over the years. Fast forward a year, now we brought you back. We had to cut you loose for a little bit over the winter, but now you're back because we're getting ready for our auction that's happening on April 21st here at the Shriners Event Center.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to be back at the Shriners Event Center. That's so far, it's my favorite place that we've done the auction at.
0: Oh yeah, it's very versatile. They're very easy to work with. Um, So much room to work with so nobody feels like they're claustrophobic. But you've been procuring some auction items for us and you had me proof one of your emails that you were sending. And it was funny to me because you got to be careful because your email was amazing. You were talking about all the different programs and services that we offer for the community and it was very detailed but succinct and it made me think yay you see all the things that we're doing I don't have to coach you on all the different programs and services because your job is not program related you're more when you're here specifically helping with a specific event like the auction or doing physical things around the building to keep it you know functional for The kids that are coming in here and also setting up for parents coming in, setting up for Clubhouse, setting up for a studio event. Yeah, You do things outside the building. So you're not really in the day to day programming.
1: Yeah. Well, and I've also I've had the opportunity to see how it has expanded and like programs, new programs have developed. Mm -hmm. Clubhouse is fairly new and it's very successful. It does great things. Kids love it. And uh, same with uh, first responders training, like friends with first responders, that's newer. It's older than Clubhouse. Yeah. And then uh, the first responder trainings have really taken off, getting flown... (laughs) <laughs> to San Diego that's a pretty big deal well, I was in you know? Santa
0: Barbara but so, thank you Yes, yeah. yeah actually with that too did you know that we had a department from Kansas the state of Kansas reach out because they're interested in bringing our team down to Kansas to train a department slash region because if we're coming down there they wanted us to Also include their regional community partners because they have mutual aid agreements with outside districts and stuff. Yeah, we have traveled a lot. That's
1: really awesome because it, it seems like the people that really should be taking it seriously are. And they're realizing the value in these trainings because a lot of people... Like, they'll think, oh, I'm going to go to this training and I'm going to sit and get talked at for, like, a couple hours. But really, there's so much valuable information in them. And, like, not everybody has the experience to be able to deal with some of the difficult situations that come with these different, like, calls and responses Yeah. to different scenes and stuff like that. So it's really great that people, even in other states, are seeing the value in that.
0: Oh, I agree. It's flattering. And it didn't take off right off the bat. It. Because we've been doing first responder trainings for departments since 2015. And then, of course, then we had the world pandemic. So that stopped our ability to be able to provide the trainings in person. And so now we're starting to pick up again, which is nice. And we have the reputation. People start talking about different trainings that they've received. Our training is not the first training out there related to autism and disabilities. And, no,
1: nope, but it's by far the best. And
0: that's what actually some of these people who have been through multiple trainings have said, I've had to sit through different trainings on disabilities over the years and this by far makes the most sense and so that's flattering when you have and also I think in first responder world for training I always ask as we're training and there's a room full of people does anyone have a child that's um, on the autism spectrum and you'll get people raising the hand and you will occasionally get people that will say I myself am a person with autism and I think one of the most profound testimonials is at the end of the training you will have those parents or those individuals that identify as being a person with autism will say you nailed it you absolutely nailed it like this and it's hard because you have to understand I in four hours or three hours sometimes they only give me three hours but ideally if I have four hours I have to educate first responders to understand what's going on inside the mind and the body of a person with autism, but I have to educate them on the entire spectrum. So these are those that are non-speaking that are profoundly impacted, all the way up to those that are very highly capable where autism is an invisible disorder that individuals have, and they don't often self-disclose that. So you have to be able to use your assessment skills or I call them super sleuth skills back from the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse days to be able to identify that this person may likely be on the autism spectrum so that they can use their best practices. So I think the most powerful testimony on all of that is when you have parents or individuals with autism that come up after your training and say, wow, you nailed it and you did a really good job at relaying the information and covering an entire spectrum. So I'm very proud of that.
1: And not to mention too, when you're doing your trainings. It's also a big factor that contributes to how amazing it is and how valuable Because you have you, for example, right, who not only has done all of the time and in research into, like, just experience around autism and My even other disabilities. And then you have somebody like John. John has had firsthand experience with Cooper, and he's seen the severe end of it, too. And then I know Maria comes with some of these. And uh, Maria has just as much experience. Same with her IEPs. So when she's helping with IEPs, Maria knows what she's doing. She knows her shit because she has a child who's severely impacted by autism. Like Mm -hmm. all of, not to say that other programs offering trainings and IEP help don't, but like you have like boots on the ground experience with this kind of thing. Oh yes. That makes it, and you can also back up your actual training with real life
0: experiences. Yeah, we have real life experiences from John being a first responder and a parent, from my experiences being a parent, and also a person that works in the world of autism. We have hundreds, over 16 years, we have worked with thousands, thousands of families who have loved ones on the autism spectrum. Even at the clubhouse, we have hundreds of young people, youth and young adults, and their family members coming through the doors every single month we're probably helping and supporting each month easily six to 800 individuals and sometimes it's parents sometimes it's grandparents it's individuals it's adults it's first responders so there's a tremendous number of people that we are supporting through providing them information trainings triaging just immediate needs we do our autism in the wild training for first responders but we're doing adaptive fire safety education parent workshops one of the things that the reason why we're podcasting on this particular topic is that my frustration is that despite our reputation and people knowing about the isaac foundation we've been in the community we've been serving the community for 16 years it is still shocking to me how overlooked a lot of our programs and services are and with that too we are being overlooked in terms of what we provide the community but a lot of other organizations that serve the uh, same community the disability community are always also being overlooked in terms of the different programs and services that we offer the community and I have been overwhelmed in the last two weeks with people making suggestions in the community that there needs to be more programs and opportunities and services in our community. And it's frustrating to me because we have a lot of the resources that families or these individuals are suggesting that need to exist in the community. And somehow we're being overlooked. And it's not just Isaac Foundation, it's the ARC, it's Project ID, it's uh, a lot of the ABA centers that are providing social opportunities and services. And what then happens is then it's thought that these services and programs don't exist. And so then these other groups, and I'm going to use an example of the school districts, Spokane Public Schools right now is actually contemplating creating some of these resources that already exist in the community because rather than taking the time to get to know the organizations and the agencies that exist within the community and have some of these existing opportunities, there's some discussion about Spokane Public School building out a platform to host or house some of these resources from online trainings to a resource manual. And it is shocking to me because We have all of those things.
1: No, we do and we have for such a long time. And it's 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 frankly bullshit because (laughs) we've spent all of So many hours. All of this time and like all of this community outreach trying to get our programs out there so that people know about us, know what we do, know what we have to offer them. Yeah. Then the school district district is, oh, we're going to throw this together. And and we
0: want community and we want parent input as to what you want. And what's interesting is when you read some of these online platform threads, you have parents that are actually, they're responding saying, this is what we need. And then I feel so defeated because we have almost all of those things currently in existence. And if we all work together to funnel families and individuals to some of these existing programs number one one thing is that while we have the clubhouse it is not at maximum capacity it is well attended and we have a lot of kids that are using it and we have so
1: much space for more kids oh we do
0: have more space people will say oh the reason why i don't come to that is because it's just not on the right day of the week because we have therapies and, and i hear that or the weekends that we offer it they have other commitments on those weekends and if i could run my program's every single day of the week, and every single week, and that would be great. But I am not an organization that have has unlimited funding. So I can only run our programs like two, two to three weekends a month. And they're not, I have one day of the month that is full from like 10 in the morning until seven o'clock at night. I have programs run at different times throughout the day trying to maximize my staff time. But at least two weekends a month, oftentimes, there's three weekends a month. There is some sort of weekend programming. yeah, And then we have the clubhouse that's two days a week. and until all of these days, current days are at maximum capacity, I don't have the justification to have more weekends and more after school. Days open because of just balancing a budget and trying to get the funding to keep that possible. So it's interesting to me because we also do a parent coffee chat on mornings because we have a Thursday evening opportunity parent mingle and they're always attended. They're not at maximum capacity, and so when parents were saying why well, I can't do it in the evenings because I don't have childcare, so we decided to offer the coffee chat so that when kids are school that parents could access it. And we still don't; it's not at maximum capacity. But-
1: and also with the coffee chat, I'll say I was very surprised because even though there was only, I believe, three or four mm-hmm. parents there yeah, and then you and Maria, the conversations that were being had were very valuable. And I think everybody oh, yeah. who came to the coffee chat really took something away from it. Oh, yeah. And it's nice because everybody's got experience with this stuff everybody's somebody that can be vented to talk to everybody's got can you walk away learning
0: something or something that you didn't think of in a different perspective that's what I always take and I think that I am so grateful for all of the families that have come into my life and take part in the coffee chats or podcasting or the parent mingle nights because as you listen to people's challenges or just even all the intakes that we do by telephone, you learn something you're seeing something from a different perspective or you realize that there is a huge gap in resources and opportunities that then makes me put a post-it note on that to try and figure out a way that we can try and support another agency that has that ability to fill that need
1: Mm -hmm. or
0: if there's no one that's able to fill that need figure out a way if we can logistically start trying to support people in that area. But yeah, it's interesting because despite parents wanting a lot of the programs and services that we have, all the parent workshop, parent education on my website, we have a learning management system. So I can take every single training that we do and I can put it in an, on a recorded platform and I can put it on our website and allow people to download, like request certain workshops or trainings the funny thing is about this even though we have this robust system we actually pay extra to be able to have it on our website even when i have online resources that people can access download read or watch we can see how many people actually watch it from beginning to end and i have to tell you that the analytics on that are very low if somebody downloads a video or a workshop We put it in someone's account so they can access, so it goes into their library, if you will, and we can see the percentage that the video has been worked through, and it's very, very, very dismal in terms of getting through it from beginning to end or ever accessing it. And so it's just some of the analytics that we have through our website. And so it's hard because then you're thinking, okay, we thought for sure that if we did all of these workshops, we recorded them and put them in our video library, that people would access them and be able to work through the material. And even still there's obstacles. So we thought it was just access to technology, but then COVID happened. And you would think a lot of those resources would have been accessed more and actually we saw it was the opposite we were starting to get less interaction with our online resources and trainings than we did before covid because people were burnt out on technology yeah. and people were like nope so that was the reason why we started doing the podcasting actually we had started the podcasting even before covid
1: i'm still thinking we should get a separate tiktok account specifically for the uh, podcast oh you think yeah but
0: i didn't think tiktoks were very long
1: they have an option for 30 seconds to like a minute and then they have a 3 minute option but we don't need them to be long. Oh. The Most popular podcast in the world which is Joe Rogan's. He okay. I know you He he'll, he'll post like 15 to like 20 second sections of his podcast oh. and you'll just put a bunch of hashtags on it and then people will see that and be like oh I'm going to give this.
0: Well, a but shot. you want to know if I'm being honest, oh you hate it when I say that. Oh no, you don't like it when I say. It. We're not going to throw stones here. No, I just because Tyler edits for us, so he knows all of my favorite sayings. And then he says, I, you drive, I drive you nuts because I always say, if I'm being honest, <laughs> you hate that. And the, we're going to throw some stones. And uh,
1: sometimes it's fun throwing stones, well, especially when it's It's well not deserved. throwing stones.
0: It's identifying and naming the elephant in the room. There's a lot of things that are existing, and we don't call people out because we don't want to be impolite. But sometimes it's necessary. But when we're talking about of all of the resources that I have out there, The podcast gets the most traction because people listen to podcasts and it's very easy. People listen to podcasts. Some people actually are listening to more podcasts than they are TV programs. And a lot of people are getting off of social media, which I don't blame you because I don't love social media. I'm taking a hiatus from my captain's log, if you notice that.
1: I I did a comment on your tire one because I was totally convinced that was yours and you hit another curb. Oh, and I, I was so.
0: So the meme that he's referring to is on my cap. I do a captain's log on social media where it's like Star Trek Enterprise captain's log, and then I have the star dates. So then I know what date it was and what time it was. And when the meme was, it was International Women's Day, and it was a tire rim that was all chewed because of curbs. And my kids are always mocking me because I hit curbs from time to time. So you thought when I posted that, that was actually a picture of <laughs> my, my. Yeah rim but it wasn't all of that being said the resource that gets accessed the most is the podcasting
1: maria was even saying her daughter brooklyn who's like 12 she's young right
0: oh she's not even 12 i think she's 11
1: she falls asleep listening 11. to the podcast mm-hmm. that just shows granted Maria's her mom she likes still,
0: listening to her mommy's voice while she's sleeping
1: people are seeing the value in podcasts and usually with our podcasts there they tend to be shorter yeah, A lot tend to be longer, but that's because we cram a lot of information into these so that we're not wasting people's time. Yeah, We're getting the information out of there and everything is on the table.
0: Yeah. But you know why I think people like it is because it sits in their pocket. They can listen to it on their earbuds while they're yeah. working out and it's short. It's sweet. So last night I sent you a picture or a video, a YouTube link, and I know for a fact you didn't watch it because it was a 20 minute video. And I said, as soon as he sees it, he's going to not watch it. I watched one minute version, I swear. Whatever. But see, that's the thing. Why is it? When it's a video, people are like, I'm not watching a 20-minute video. But you will totally sign up for a 20-minute podcast. To be fair,
1: everybody, the video is quite boring.
0: It was not boring. I'm going to tell you what it is because I'm hoping that Mark Rober is going to hear my podcast here and he's going to be like, oh, I'm so flattered. Mark Rober is a YouTuber that is – he – is an engineer, so he was making these videos about different science-y things, STEM things. One of them was his squirrel series, where he made a squirrel obstacle course in his backyard because the squirrels were kept getting into his bird feeder, and he engineered a squirrel obstacle course, and there was four participants squirrels that lived in his backyard, and he named them all. So I was going to tease Tyler today that I sent it to him because I want to ask Mark Rober for an auction donation because he has a son on the autism spectrum.
1: It would be cool. If and he a has
0: donation. a oh, if you're a parent and you're looking for a good STEM subscription box, he has his his subscription box, which I have for Caleb, and they're very fun things. But anyway, I ha- you didn't know who. Mark Rober was. And I said, you got to watch his squirrel obstacle course. And I tested you and you said, oh, that's funny. And you you almost (laughs) immediately responded back saying that's so funny. If you would have waited 20 minutes, I would have been like, oh, he watched it. But I knew you didn't. Truth be told,
1: I watched one of his videos, but it was like a minute and 50 seconds. And I think that one was just him showing off his uh, feeder that he made. And I was like, is this really what she wanted me to watch?
0: It was his feeder that he, his bird feeder that he originally got to try and keep the squirrels out. But because they kept being super smart in these really sophisticated bird feeders he was making to keep the squirrels out, that was what then inspired him to. Have this month-long project of creating an obstacle course in his backyard, and it's hysterical if you actually watch it. The 20 minutes goes by very fast, but I say this because I was going to quiz you because you were in a lie and tell me, "Oh yeah, I totally watched it." And I was going to say, "What are the name of the four squirrels?" I have no idea. Exactly because you didn't watch it, <laughs> which just reinforces my point is that someone will listen to a 20 minute podcast, but someone will not take the time to watch a 20-minute video.
1: I think part of the reason behind that is it's really hard to grasp and maintain someone's attention through a video. It's uh, a great video.
0: I, it's professionally edited so that you get a 20-second montage of the build, and then it's just all the different sciency parts of him messing around with the squirrels in his backyard. I'm telling you, Tyler, it's going to be a workplace requirement that you watch the video because I love it so much. Sometimes it's nice to be the boss because I can make you do things that as a parent, I cannot make you do. Yeah. How do you feel about that?
1: Is it interesting being my boss and my mom?
0: Yes, I have always wanted to have a succession plan for the Isaac Foundation, being one of my children, but all of my children, every single one of them has said, nope, none of you guys are interested. But I can live with that. With what is interesting to me, though, is that despite none of you guys wanting to be a succession plan to the Isaac Foundation, I am shocked at how much you actually know about the Isaac Foundations and the programs. Even though you have no interest in this world, you come to work, you're working on the auction, which is not necessarily programming. You are still well aware of the different programs and services that we have here.
1: Part of it, it comes from, even though I would not want to take over the Isaac Foundation, I've always seen how much you've put into the Isaac Foundation. All the time, the dedication, the years, good times, the bad times. Like when COVID happened, I know that was probably one of the worst years.
0: Yeah, it was a really terrible couple years for us because we could see the negative impact and the struggles our families had. And there was just nothing that we could do to fix it or support them in a virtual way.
1: I think that uh, watching you put all of this time and effort and just relentless ambition towards the Isaac Foundation Kind of rubbed off in a way and made me want to learn more about it. So then when I'm out and about, like, I talk about how I want to start a company at some point. right? Oh, yeah. I can um, use that as, like, donating here. But, like, also, like, my girlfriend's boss, she knew who you were. And she has two kiddos in the preschool room who are believed to be on the spectrum. And uh, through Cecilia, I gave Cecilia the whole spiel about the (laughs) Isaac Foundation. I was like, tell them if they're interested. My mom has all of these programs and we always have the phone. Mm -hmm. And,
0: And we do training even for early childhood educators because it's a daycare environment to keep young teenage parents in school. And
1: uh, I like knowing about what you do, so I know how to like support it in ways that I can and talk about it.
0: Refer people to some of these yeah. good programs, yeah. So how, because I feel that we are definitely an overlooked resource in the community, I rack my brain all of the time. If I can't even get the school districts to understand what it is that we're doing, and they're talking about recreating things that we already have in place, rather than just refer families to the organizations that do this. I'm trying to rack my brain. Where are we going? wrong. You're a young person. How you access information is probably more relevant than the way I access information. So what do you think is the miss in all of this?
1: I think that we need to go broader with our social media. TikTok is a great resource that I would like to learn how to use. But I have, these are my words, not yours. I'm just an intern. I have very strong feelings about Spokane Public Schools, (laughs) and uh, they will try and get funding for anything just so that they can have more funding.
0: Well, that was actually a little bit of why I am I was angsty, because if you're telling me that you're going to start putting and dedicating resources within the school district to start housing some of these wonderful training opportunities and access to resources, as opposed to referring them to the agencies that actually already have these things in place, you're willing to go in and dedicate resources to this and even potentially go and get grant funding to pay for being able to maintain this information. Because newsflash, anyone who thinks that this is easy, the reason why it's... There's not a one-stop shop to get all of this information in one place. It's because it's so difficult. It's a moving target. And we spend a lot of resources constantly keeping our information up to date and who's doing what and who's out of business and who's new on the scene and staff turnover. So then focuses change and programs will change. If the school district would actually focus on fixing some of the glaring problems that are happening and under the roofs of some of their schools currently right now because it's a big district – That would be amazing. How about let's focus on some of those things that are just grossly under addressed within the school district as opposed to then dabbling in this area where there's already some really solid work out there that's being done by organizations in our community. I'm offended. I'm going to tell you Spokane Public Schools. I'm offended. Oh, I'm very offended.
1: Again, I have so many strong feelings about Spokane Public Schools because I went to Spokane middle school, high school, with schools in general, especially Spokane public schools, they will try and get grants and funding for absolutely anything. But the programs that are outcomes of that money and that resource are half-assed, and they're not good. (laughs) There are so many things that Spokane public schools could be doing to uh, branch out and get in contact with these organizations that already have a lot of these similar programs in place. Well, I have
0: talked to different districts about how to improve some of the things that are in existing in this district. Any district. And one of the biggest challenges, I I'm gonna give them a little bit of a pass on this, is that they are having to work with the labor union, the teachers' labor union, and what they want to do and oftentimes what they can do, because you have a labor union that represents the teachers. There is some limitations with that. So I hear that and I I understand those challenges. And so it's not as easy to get a grant and actually then implement it when there's then labor disputes and then there's contracts that have to be consideration in terms of how you can use your staff resources and what their contract allows and what their contract does not allow. So there's an element of that.
1: By no means. I, after going through Spokane Public Schools, I've always loved the teachers. Granted, there's definitely been a couple that (laughs) I have some feelings towards. But for the most part, I think the teachers were mistreated. They have so much on their plate, so many kids to deal with. And especially in high school, these kids uh, don't show their appreciation for all that they do. And I think that a lot of the problems with Spokane Public Schools comes from, like, the school boards, like the higher people probably. Because the teachers teachers that I've talked to, they care so much There's but there's so yeah. much limitations to what they can do.
0: Well, and what I have learned over the years when it comes to the school districts is that there's the old school teachers that have a lot of years of experience, and then there's the newer teachers coming on the scene. And there's that different model of thought processing. Yeah. And then what happens is, too, you get a new administrator in the building, and the administrator is the new like principal. You have a new principal that comes into the building, and their focus or their directives from the admin office ends up being x y or z and then they come in and it's like okay everybody this is what the new directive is and this is how we're going to get there and so it's definitely it impacts then the shift of culture and you know how teachers are have been doing things or want to do things and so it's hard you can't I think I don't remember which president said this and I'm probably going to butcher it so I apologize the quote you can please some of the people part of the time and part of the people some of the time, but you can't please all of the people all of the time.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: like I said, I probably butchered it, but it's very that is so true. And that's where collaborative problem solving happens. And then there are times where things have to change mm-hmm. and it's the directive of legislation and it it sucks and everybody's burnt out. It's a hard place to be. The struggles are changing um, daily when it comes to just the community and the social and emotional needs of the students and how you address that. I'm not just going to sit there and say I know how to fix all the problems and how to address them all in a positive way, but I can say that I'm very frustrated and offended that it's so easy for people to say, oh, we're going to build this new, you know, platform to address all of these problems that are failing in our community when they're actual reality of it is is that if any of these people were to spend any time looking at the resources and programs that myself and the other agencies and organizations in the region are doing, you would find that we actually have a lot of cool things going on. But the hard part is organizing it in a way that's easily accessible for all. And you can't sit there and say, oh, well, the only answer to this is to have it available online that families can just log in and access. And they can watch all of these fantastic trainings and resources and learn every single bit of information that they need. It doesn't work like that. If you were to ask these organizations, like, why is it so hard to have one centralized location for all the information? is because there's so many obstacles to making that possible. Yeah. It's so easy. I call it being an armchair quarterback saying, oh, our community sucks because we don't have any of these resources. Well, we don't suck. We are here. We're doing our part to try and promote our programs and services. But we need organizations like the school districts and other nonprofits to be sharing all of the individual work that we're all doing, and it's not—we're not, not going to save the day by ourselves. We have to do it as a team. So we need to start acting like a team. Yeah. How do we do that? TikTok's the answer, huh?
1: I think because a lot of our programs and our within our range is very localized, and I feel like if we really want to get the word out there, like getting putting more focus and effort into social media. <gasps>
0: I hate. I know you're telling me to do this. There, I hate it. So But uh, it's okay. So the thing I love about TikTok is it's so easy for the user to just like watch all the things and you start training it in terms of what types of things you want to see. So then it knows what you like and it will just keep showing you that stuff. The problem with TikTok is the creator side of it is very clunky and difficult and it's so labor intensive. Yeah. So all these really amazing TikTokers that like are so famous, it's because that's what they do as a full time job.
1: Yeah, and they put all of their focus, time, and energy into it.
0: It's not easy for us to do that because we have 11 different services or resources or programs that we are having to keep up in the air at all times. Yeah. And in the meantime, we have to fundraise because we are not funded by state dollars.
1: Our biggest fundraising event of the year is coming up April 21st. Take this opportunity to buy your tickets, man.
0: Yeah, $100. You can buy them online.
1: Yeah, and then come and bid.
0: Yes. There's some cool Spend stuff. Some money.
1: I would know. I've been procuring them.
0: You're pretty proud of some of the stuff you procured.
1: Yeah, there's some real cool shit this year.
0: Yeah. Tyler, you're all also saying that we need to be recording our podcast sessions.
1: We could, but, but it depends. I don't ever how much, look good? I'm you, a
0: hot mess, mama, all the time.
1: Do you ever? Do you ever, do are I you ever able to take see a shower? Or do I ever take
0: a shower or do no. my hair? Is that what you're gonna say?
1: Do you? How many people like on average listen to your podcast?
0: It depends on the content or the topic. But like,
1: what's the most you've ever gotten on a podcast?
0: Oh, I have hun- I have over 500 listens to some episodes.
1: Maybe once we get to a point, if we could get. 10,000 consistently because the thing is we can use tiktok to try and get like a basic following but then we just link all of our like our website our podcast and stuff and if we get traction on the podcast then the word gets out because people like i'm one of the people i don't listen to music anymore i always have a podcast in.
0: Yes. And I will tell you, I hear from people that i I walk with Deb Scalabron every Friday. We go for a walk because that's our form of maintaining our friendship, but also getting a little bit of exercise because we're no spring chickens. That's for sure. But Deb and I will walk and she knows I have a podcast. And one of the most wonderful endorsements is that she has said that she was talking to someone and they referenced my podcast and how... She didn't, couldn't remember what episode it was and how they felt like, oh my gosh, they found themselves shouting in their car, yes, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one. And that's, I hear those types of things all the time where I'll run into a parent or they'll send me an email message saying that they listened to a podcast episode and it was exactly what they needed to hear when they needed to hear it because sometimes you do feel like you're the only one. So I would say it depends. Usually I release a podcast and within a week I have 100 listens to it. So there's at least 100 people listening to which is good. Yeah, so then some of my older podcasts that are have been out there and are on certain topics that are important, those ones have hundreds and hundreds of listens because they're relevant to a certain topic or situation. I will say self-adv my self-advocate podcasts that have individuals with autism that are being interviewed, those ones are always well-received, and I think parents really do like listening to... Have you had Caleb on? Autism- yes, Caleb podcasts with me.
1: Because I... The Salty he,
0: Sister also podcasts with me from time to time.
1: Caleb, shit, man. I don't know how much I can really swear on here, but he just blows me away. Yeah. Like, he's my best friend. Yeah. And uh, just conversations with him and, like, his, he sees things from perspectives that even, like, that I don't. And so, like, he gives me, like, when me and Sil were having problems, he was like, hey, Tyler, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And gave me different perspectives. I don't know. I think that having individuals touched by autism on the podcast really is amazing.
0: Yes. I actually, because I have my podcasting equipment set up in my office, and so now it's on a rolling table so I can roll it around and do different things so I don't have to keep putting it away and setting it back up, the kids that come into the clubhouse see it and always ask me, what's that? And I explain, it's my podcasting equipment. And some of them really want to podcast with me and i need to probably just put it out there and find out whose parents are willing to let their kiddo be on a podcast cuz i do think that there's a lot of valuable information and perspective to be yeah received when you listen to our sure. community people in our community with autism. Yeah. All right, my friend, thank you for coming back to work at the Isaac Foundation even if you only stay for auction season. We appreciate you.
1: I'll probably stick around for a while. It's pretty fun.
0: Oh, we do stuff. You. Is it because of your amazing boss or am I just fishing for a compliment?
1: Both. We do a lot. I like that every day is a little bit different with constant there's constantly something going on. Yeah. You don't really get bored easily. No. There's always something to keep you on your toes.
0: It is true. Yeah. It's some days are hard. I I feel like I'm in a hard phase right now where I just again just in the last 2 weeks I cannot believe how many places I've heard Or seeing people posting wanting information or having these great epiphany ideas about creating all these great programs and services when I I happen to know for a fact they already exist in our community. But So I feel like I'm in a low place right now because I feel very defeated because you work so hard to create these programs and then yet how is it possible nobody knows that they're here?
1: One thing I will say that's crazy to me still is sometimes I forget how long you've been doing this and how many people know about you. I remember my girlfriend works at a child care center downtown and I was bringing her a coffee and her actual boss,
0: the head honcho? S-
1: she saw me out of the door and goes, oh my gosh, Tyler, it's so good to see you. She knew and you
0: from when you were in preschool. Did you know that?
1: And she was like, how's your mom doing? How's Holly? How's the Isaac Foundation?
0: And I was like, my mom. You remember the days when you were at Spokane Public Schools and you yeah. would have a substitute teacher? Oh, was You'd that wearing- Katie? Isaac, You would wear an Isaac Foundation shirt because there was a while where you would still wear my T-shirts and sweatshirts. And then you'd have people, substitute teachers say, I know the Isaac Foundation. And then you'd say, that's my mom. And you're like, oh, you're Holly's son. Yeah. Yeah. My worst, though, my least favorite of all of this is infamous. I don't consider myself famous. I consider myself infamous, which there's a difference.
1: What's the difference?
0: Famous is usually positivity. Infamous is that you're well known for something that may or may not. You're well known for something. Infamous is like Billy the Kid. It's not necessarily because he was a good guy, right? I do. But consider. we do
1: good. Sh- how, we do, how to, but it's do through
0: tragedy stuff. that I am well known. Sometimes I'm an urban legend. Nobody wants. There was a long time I always like people had heard about me because I was the one that lost my son and started a nonprofit. So you become infamous because of something terrible that no one wants to necessarily be you. I think it's probably less. I don't know. I was very sensitive about that as I was always the parent that no one wanted to be because that would mean that you would have lost a child. And while I did do something positive, it's not like anybody would want to live my life.
1: I feel, though, well that with tragedies, there's always a positive outcome. Like there's so many ways to look at things. Mm-hmm. And despite Isaac leaving early, so much has come from that. And if that wouldn't have happened, I don't know if we'd have the Isaac Foundation. Wouldn't. I don't know if we'd be helping so many Do you many know people. that's
0: why on his angelversary, which was back on February 8th, I struggled this year. Because there are some years where I profoundly hurt when his birthday or his angelversary rolls around he would have been 18 and graduating high school. That was a really hard year for me because all of the kids, parents sharing their kids' graduation pictures and stuff, that was profoundly sad for me because it's another milestone that I don't get to have. And then this year was a little bit sad for me because now that we have the clubhouse going, the kids are coming in every single week, I feel like I'm part of their lives. I'm like the fun aunt. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm so protective of the kids. I love them so much. I'm like the protective aunt. They love. They will come into my office and share their day or ask me a question or they'll make me little uh, Lego figurines and come and delight in my office and even let me have it on my desk for a little while. So I just love every aspect of that. And I woke up on his angelversary and I felt guilty because I would give anything to have your brother back. And that would mean that all the things that we built because of him passing away would not exist And then I can't even, I don't even want to imagine a world without the Isaac Foundation. I think if you were to take away the Isaac Foundation for a lot of these families and these young youth and young adults, it would be very hard on them. And I felt guilty because there's still a part of my mom heart that would give anything to have my son back. But that would mean Isaac Foundation wouldn't exist and wouldn't be helping the families that were helping. And I felt guilty. I felt really guilty because in my head, I just thought I was a real shit for Having thinking in my head, I some, want my son back.
1: Sometimes I don't feel like he's really dead, though, because I feel like with the because he we have the Aizu Foundation and so much has come from that. Despite yeah. the fact that he's not physically here, he's still very much present in the world with okay. everything going on.
0: Can I tell you something? Yeah. Okay, because this is a little spiritual and this oh might God. offend some. We when we first moved into this building, we had to expend a lot of our financial resources to get into the building. And there was a point where I was thinking to myself, oh, my God, what have I done? Because how are we going to raise the capital and keep the lights on and the doors open? Because financially, it sucked a lot of our resources. And I was panicking in September, October. I laid you off because I was trying to conserve resources. And I wanted to be open with people about, hey, we need your support because we're not sure how we're going to keep these doors open. And every single time, time, I'm not even kidding you, three different times I created a Facebook Live it got deleted and it didn't broadcast. And I was like, that's weird, how come this technology failed in this moment? And so my Facebook Live never made it out there. I recorded a podcast about the fact that we needed financial support because we weren't sure of how we were gonna make this going. The podcast got deleted. I do feel that your brother is involved in a lot of things. When we decided to do the clubhouse, I felt like I was getting a nudge that, hey, we need a clubhouse. We need a clubhouse. We need a clubhouse. So I've always felt the nudge and the, the call to do something or fill a need. But this was one of those very overt times in my life where every time I was putting out there, hey, we need help, it was getting deleted or technology fails. And so that was when I knew, okay, Isaac clearly does not want me to go this route and i just need to have faith that things are going to start turning around and people or grant opportunities or funding sources were going to come our direction and guess what here we are now it's march that was like six months ago where we got two grants we got two grants, one for $18,900 from Spokane County. And then we got the Believe in Me grant, which was for 12500 So if they're listening, we want you guys to know that we appreciate you greatly. And it was just a little bit of a lull between moving in here and just having that moment of panic, like, oh my gosh, what have we done? And things are improving. I'm not saying that I don't think it's possible for any nonprofit to be like, oh my gosh, like things are perfect and awesome and great. Because I don't think you can ever feel totally comfortable in nonprofit world when you have to really be intentional about every single financial ask that you make. But it was in that moment I knew that your brother was just like, mom, shut your mouth. This is, we're fine. You don't have to be worrying about this. Everything is going to be okay. So I know that was God's plan and all of this is that you just have to have faith. here we are any final thoughts
1: i think we pretty much got it all
0: yeah at least for this episode yeah all right with that we're going to wrap up this episode of isaac's autism podcast thank you for joining me tyler we will catch you next time and that's it for now if you want to be notified of our next podcast release be sure to hit subscribe and just remember we're all in this together so find your tribe and hold them tight